Welcome to episode 355 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain. I'm the author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And if you're listening to us right now and you'd rather be viewing, this is one of those special video interviews and you can watch us on YouTube. You would simply go to YouTube and type in We Don't Die Radio 355. A couple of just very brief announcements. Recently, I was asked asked to host a new podcast on iHeartRadio in conjunction to the big show Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. It's a really big deal. They want a show about the afterlife. And it's different than this show. As here, we interview one guest at a time. And there, it's kind of like the best of, I put it to you that way. So it's called Shades of the Afterlife. And if you're interested, I think it's a smashingly great program. Go to iHeartRadio.com and just type in Shades of the Afterlife. And that's all there is to it. And I'd love to know what you think. Just beneath the episode, there's a chat box and you can post messages to me if you like. Also, we have a new calendar that is up for November, December 2020. You may be watching this sometime in the future and the calendar will still be running. You can go to wedontdieradio.com and click on calendar tab and we host demonstrations and courses and a wonderful Sunday gathering, which is our, our version of a Sunday service, but we celebrate life in the afterlife. In fact, our guest today is someone you may recognize from our Sunday gathering. We have Kath Shirley on today. She is the president of Longton National Spiritualist Church in the UK. She's a longtime medium and tutor, and she's also an advanced grief recovery specialist. I'll share her email with you if you are interested in having some support. It is kath.rynn at me.com. Kath Shirley, a warm welcome, my friend, to We Don't Die Radio. Hi, Sandra, and thank you for inviting me to talk about something we're both very passionate about. We sure are. The two go hand in hand, grief I and the afterlife. And I'd love to hear a little bit about more, more about you and how you got started, maybe a little bit about your history. Okay, so um, as you know, Many years ago, Mitch and I, we do have four children and we had twins. And um, Georgia was born with disabilities. And we found that world that we were then thrust into extremely overwhelming. We're talking 1994. So I didn't really have a great deal of knowledge about the world of disabilities. I knew about motherhood. I had two children and uh, I didn't know a great deal about twins. So if anybody's expecting twins, just go with the flow because you'll know what to do when they're born. Um, but it became extremely apparent to us in the very early days there was a huge lack of support for us as parents. So when Georgia was about 18 months old, we were given her diagnosis and basically told to go away and get on with it with no real knowledge. But what, what people don't really understand, and anybody who has children 
with disabilities, whether they're born with them or whether they are acquired, or indeed as an adult, you become aware of a loved one who has disabilities. And, you know, when when your health changes or when someone you love and care for deeply, when their health changes, it impacts us all. And there, I didn't recognise it at the time because it wasn't addressed. We used to have, oh, appointments after appointments after appointments to go to with Georgia and looking after three others. And of course, she's a twin. So being exactly the same age, Grace, her twin, was doing what she was, you know, naturally doing. And Georgia was struggling with everything. So I didn't realise at the time really that I was grieving also because um you know I read that piece about welcome to Holland when you when you are pregnant you have an expectation of what this life is going to be like what you're going to be like as parents and we all worry about that and also um when she was born I just knew there was something that needed further investigation um so when she was diagnosed I I was just told you know let her be a baby because that's all she'll ever be which was astounding to me and that's the medical model of course the social model says what can we do to overcome all these things and so we had pediatrician we had a neurologist uh, yes a new neurologist we had physios we had orthopedic surgeons to go see we had um ophthalmology to go and see all these different various um professionals and in the middle of all of this as a parent i was trying to catch my breath about what does this mean for my daughter what sort of a life is she going to have? What sort of an outcome after all these, you know, um, interventions and all these different things? And then it all sort of settled down, but you still don't get time to reflect on what could have been. So you do grieve for a life you thought your child would have, you hoped your child would have. And when it's difficult, which, which it was, um it's really hard to say to anybody how do you deal with this how do you cope with this because what we do is we bury it all we push it all down we don't address it we don't deal with it so skip forward to some years later um and I've had uh, grieve, grieving moments in my life. I've had moments where I've lost people in my life. So in 2016, my dad was diagnosed with mesothelioma, which is cancer caused by asbestos. And when I went into the room with mum and dad, um, we saw the scan on, on the screen and where I was sitting, I had a front view of the screen and they had a side view which had the cast of the sunshine on it so they couldn't see properly. And you know when you just know this is awful. And I could see from the scans of his lungs that he had um, shapes that shouldn't be there. Um, 
And the lung cancer specialist apologised to my dad and said, I'm really sorry. Um, this is this is not good. Um, and mum and dad, I don't say they were trying to be cheerful because they were in shock, but they tried to carry on. And everything will be fine, which, of course, I now realise that means feelings internalised, not expressed. That's what fine is. And that's what they did. So, Dad, we went through all the whole emotion of trying to get um, treatment and trying to get a full diagnosis. That We went to see a specialist in early 2016, and it wasn't until July that he was actually diagnosed with mesothelioma. And we soon realised that he was at the end stages. Um, and after, after that... It was a it was a downward roller coaster. There was no up moments at all. Um, and trying to trying to comfort and support your family whilst you know this is all going to be the end of his life. We don't quite know when, but we know that this is what it is. And um, Dad passed on the fourth of October, and it was if you could. I don't think you can say anybody has a good death. That's flippant. But I felt so grateful that he was in a place, he was in a hospice where he wanted to be. He was comfortable. He wasn't in pain. And for anybody who's sat with anybody who's passed, I felt really honoured and, and so privileged to be with him. Um, and yes, it, it's it's emotional beyond belief. It is painful. Um, but all the time you've got people, professionals coming in saying, don't, don't cry when that is all you want to do. This is my dad. He is my dad. He has been there all my life. I am now of an age where I don't, you know, you don't, I'm now a grandparent myself and he's, you know, he's granddad to my children. I don't want to see him go, but I knew also that he couldn't sustain life here. So he did slip away <clears throat> around um, half past six in the afternoon. And then afterwards, it was... Um, my mum found it very difficult to show her emotions. I had no problem whatsoever. I, I openly admit that. Thank God Mitch has big shoulders. I cried and cried until I felt I didn't have any more tears. But I'd also cried like that when dad was diagnosed. I came home, the house was empty, thank goodness. And I just wept for hours and hours and hours. And so while it was still awful, the, it's anticipatory grief. You are expecting it. You know it's going to happen, but my gosh, how it hurts. And when people say heartache, until you actually go through that, you don't realise it is. It is an actual pain in your chest, isn't it? 
And um, I couldn't, there was times when you feel you, you can't breathe. This pain is so intense. It's so painful. I cannot breathe. I cannot think about him without that pain. And then um, dad's funeral would have been, it was in the 20-something scene. It sort of goes away, doesn't it? It does. It does. Um, I think it was the 22nd, you know, 21st, 21st. And then a few days after, my brother's son went missing and he died by suicide on the 25th. Now, he had had... Uh, and it tried to seek help for his mental health. And I don't know what it's like in the US, but it's not very good here in the UK. Trying to seek help for your mental health. You have to engage. If you don't engage, that help's not forthcoming. But people with mental health issues don't feel they can put themselves forward and feel that on a good day, that's it. I don't want to speak to anybody. So if they don't, if they don't cooperate in, in the professional's eyes, then they don't get that help. He desperately, desperately needed that help. And so sadly, um, Josh passed away and he was uh, 27. And the last time I saw him was at dad's funeral service. And so it all sort of, that also got buried. And so um, for four years, and yet I'm a medium. Yes, I understand about the spirit world. Yes, I felt the presence of my dad, which is wonderful. However, there's still this, this pain. And I'd seen um, last year, I, I, I'd done uh, counselling as in um, become one. And I, I'd done all the work in with that. Um, I worked as a, a, a mental health first aider. I worked in social services, working with families who are separated for whatever reason. I'd worked with families who don't feel there's any hope in life. So I kind of knew what the answers were, but I'd never done all the work or found something that I could relate to. I'd been to see a counsellor myself once and I didn't find it very helpful at all. No offence to anybody who's done it. I think it's what you find works for you. So in no way would I criticise anybody. So I saw this advert for the grief recovery and I looked into it and couldn't really, if you look at it, I didn't feel, well, what is it? It doesn't really tell you what it is. So I had a phone call with um, the lady who, who runs the, the UK, uh, Carol Henderson. She's a fantastic lady. And I found out that what grief recovery is, it's a lot of heart work. It's not easy. It's, it's about addressing, we all have a significant loss, at least one significant loss that we can relate to. And we very often have um, conversations with people and uh, moments with people where we don't feel it's been particularly helpful. And um, I can recall when dad passed, I was told 
he's in a better place now. Well, he wasn't for me. He's not in any pain now. Yes, I would agree he's not in any pain. I'm in agony. Right. Um, yes. Um, he'll be with you now from the spirit world. That isn't what I want. When we are in those very raw early days, that is, none of those things. I know that people try to be helpful. They try to say the right thing. But often in saying the right thing, it just really compounds that pain that we feel. We are not supposed to shout back and say, but that doesn't help me. We are supposed to just suck it up and push it down further. Right. Uh, and um, I was also told the first year is the worst. Okay. How does that how does that work? What does that mean? I was also given the five stages of grief as some measurement in which to work from. I've since discovered that those are not really helpful either. <laughs> A lot of the things I was told originally are not really helpful. So um, I looked into it and I thought, I want to do this. I want, I want to, to, to learn not only for me, but for other people. Because as you know, when you do this work, you become aware more and more and more of the total losses that people are living through yes. and enduring. And it is huge. So Mitch and I both signed up to go to Manchester in March to, to do this programme to become grief recovery specialists. And then lockdown came. So we couldn't go. So thank goodness it was put online. And incidentally, it's an American gentleman, John James, who created this. Um, and what, what it is, if I said to you, there are over 40 losses that we endure in our lifetimes that we don't always recognise as being losses, you know, uh, from, from very small things to the huge significant losses that we, we often have that tip us over the edge. So what happens is we pile up, if you imagine all of this is a bucket, and we pile up our responsibilities in that bucket, all the things that we have to do day in, day out of our lives. We also have our childhood losses whether they are the death of somebody we love dearly or it could be our pet rabbit or the dog, the goldfish. It could be our bag when we were at school. It could have been our innocence. It, there are so many losses that, that we, we live through. We put it all in our emotional buckets and we push it down and it doesn't surface until one day which is what I found, a significant loss like my dad. And then all these other losses come from nowhere. Where did that come from? Why is that suddenly surfacing? And why is it that the things that people are saying to me, and I don't know if, if, if everybody else would agree, when we go through a significant loss, that filter 
that stops us from being totally honest just disappears. Yes, it does. And, or goes very, very thin. Mm-hmm. And we find ourselves saying things and people say, oh, she's, she's, she's in a mood today. No, actually, you've just really offended me. But because it's okay to say these flippant remarks, I'll just I'll just swallow that as well and say nothing. And, you know, um, he's lived a long life. I don't know where that's supposed to help anybody. So there's all these things, there's misinformation that we have to deal with. We have to deal with the G word, which is guilt. We deal with that as well about if I'd have said this, did I say something that made it worse? What if I'd have said that? So we also have a lot of unresolved communication with our grief. Not everybody has the opportunity to say things to people that you feel, I'm glad I said that. I really appreciate that. And I remember, I mean, my dad, we had some, we had some laughs. We really did. The things that, that um, uh, for instance, we were called at, I think it was six-ish in the morning. This is it. He's, he's passing away. And I won't go into great detail here, but it ended up that by nine o'clock, he wanted his breakfast and he wanted a cup of coffee and he wasn't going on that day. And we we just sat there, Mitch and I, again. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. This, you know, from going and walking in and it was so somber to him saying to me, and by the way, can you get me some shoe buns with fresh cream in when you go to the shop? <laughs> we had some real good laughs with him as well. He had a brilliant sense of humour, my dad. But, you know, the five stages of grief, I was told, you know, denial. I didn't deny that he passed. I saw him pass. I was not in denial. Mm -hmm. Anger. I didn't really feel anger. I felt sad. Because physically, I'm never going to be able to sit with him again. Bargaining. I didn't do any bargaining with God or anybody um, because I knew that he wouldn't be coming back. Depression, I think that depression has its, um, it comes and goes, but real depression, no, I wouldn't say I was depressed. I was sad and I was very down about my dad passing, but I'm not discounting it for other people. And then acceptance, I accepted it when he passed. But if you put that into the terms that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross meant them, which is when people find out they have a terminal illness, I'm not saying every one of them fit well, but I'm sure that they fit better in those moments. So um, what I discovered with grief recovery is that from, from birth, we are not taught how to deal with losses. No, we're not. So we are told um, it will be all right. It'll be okay. Don't worry. It will be fine. But it isn't. Go away. If you're going to do that, go away into another room and do it by yourself. So from an early age, children are taught they have to do it by themselves. Don't cry. 
Now, in England, I don't know about the about the US, but I've, I've heard it said, if you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry for. Yes, I've heard that expression. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that means that you can't cry. If you're upset, it's not okay. Um, it's it's okay. I know that you're upset about the fact that your your dog has died, but we'll get you a puppy on Monday. So we replace what we've lost, yeah. which demeans our own feelings and emotions. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll just replace that. Um, we all keep busy when we're grieving. That's something that I think universally people do. Yeah. Um, we keep busy. Um, I've been told, uh, well, I, I can't grieve because we need to sort out the funeral. All these things are things that we've been taught since time immemorial. And I'm sure that the people who teach us these things mean it well. They don't mean any harm by it, but it just perpetuates. So um, even as children, if we if a child falls down and the child cries, oh, don't cry, don't cry. So what we are saying is it's not OK to be sad. It's not OK to feel bad, but actually it's normal. It's natural. It is OK. So. When we feel at times, you know, with, um, with the work that we do with grief recovery, first of all, recognising and accepting that we do feel bad when we grieve. It is awful. It really is. There's no getting away from that fact. But what also happens, and I heard it last week, which I was very upset about, Telling somebody that they'll never get over the death of somebody is a terrible thing to say, in my mind. And I've, I heard it said to a parent who has lost their child, you'll always miss them and you'll never get over it. What they're saying is really that you can't move on. Or you can't move forward, should I say, not move on, because moving on suggests you forget them. But when we remember, I mean, I remember my dad with some wonderful memories. I've got some great memories with my dad. Why shouldn't we smile and remember those people with that love? Because that love is real. Those memories are real. So what we're saying is in grief recovery, what we're doing is we're claiming those circumstances instead of those circumstances claiming us and preventing us from being happy, from preventing us from having a future with hope and happiness within it. So it's not saying that you will suddenly forget people. You won't be sad about them. You know, um, like I said at the beginning, Somebody said to me, the first year is the worst. And, you know, the first year was bad. But the second year was even worse. Because in my head, I'd set myself up to feeling better in year two. Because somebody had told me it'll be better. 
once you've got all the firsts out of the way. And then when those second years came in, I didn't feel any better. In fact, I felt worse. So do, do you know what I mean? I do. I, after my dad passed, uh, thankfully, nobody told me the second year would be better. But it took about four years for me when I actually felt almost like a dark cloud lift from me. I mean, it was, I didn't have severe grief the whole time, but it, it, I'd actually felt so gloomy. And the only thing I can tell you is like a dark cloud lifted and like something changed. Um, but it, it's a long time. And then even hearing about somebody else's grief, it would reignite everything or yeah. seeing something on the television or reading a greeting card that just struck a certain nerve, it would ignite it again. Yes. And, and people say time heals. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And, and the analogy I would give there is if you have a burst tire, would you pull up a chair and sit and watch it heal itself? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. You'd have to do something about it. Yeah. You'd have to take action. And maybe maybe not we would change the tyre, but somebody would need to change that tyre. So it's a complete, complete and utter falsehood to say that time heals. Time heals all wounds. No, no, it doesn't. Not at all. Um, and also someone, someone I've, I know was, has been told recently that the loss of his wife is the same as this lady's divorce from her husband. And, and putting it in a way of, I know how you feel. No, that's oh a definite gosh. no, no. <laughs> Absolutely. No, because you've lost your dad and I've lost my dad, but I don't know how you feel and would never assume to know how you feel it would be insulting to say to to you Sandra oh I know how you feel I've lost my dad it's nothing we we can understand the pain of losing anybody we can understand to a certain extent but I have no idea how a mum feels to lose their child I don't know how they would feel even if that had have happened to me um, and, and also, you know, this, this grief recovery, it's some people find it so difficult. I'll tell you now, they don't, they, they don't complete. They feel unable because what you're asked to do is you're asked to look, really look at the things that you've wanted to say. So it's about uncommunicated grief and loss uncommunicated conversations because if you have had a good relationship with your loved one of course you would want that to carry on so there's communications that you wish you'd had more of I wish I could have my dad here to hug he was the best hugger in the world I think that's a dad's prerogative too isn't it if you've it got is. a good dad if you've got a good mom, if you've got a good relationship with someone and it's tactile in that way and you can hug them, yeah, you will miss that part about them. If you didn't have a good relationship with someone and now they're past, 
there's no chance to put right what you wanted to put right. So you've got that opportunity's gone. So it's all these things about unsaid, how you feel. Maybe it's something like, thank you for all the times you took me to swimming on a Sunday morning when it was the last thing you wanted to do. But I'm really, really glad you did. And I appreciate that you took the time to take me. Now, I know people who've done the um, talking therapies. A friend of mine did talking therapies before she did this. And she said she was asked at the very end, she had a chair in front of her and they put a teddy bear there and said, right, we want you to speak to the chair as if that's who you want to speak to. So she read her letter and she said all the things she needed to say. And they said, does that feel better? And she said, no, I've just spoken to an empty chair. Right. That's all I've done. But what grief recovery does is it gives you that those stepping stones. And it is education. It's not therapy. It's not counselling. It gives you the skills to then go on and deal with your other losses, however big, small or I mean, they're all small to us in some ways. But then when you look at them, you know, the loss of um, a doll when you were a child was huge. The loss of a doll as a child, now you're an adult, might seem quite small. But at the time, all our losses are 100%. They are real. They are emotional. And they sit within us forever. And um, also the things that we, we do, we, we call them stirbs. Short-term energy-relieving behaviours. Everybody does it. Keeping busy is one of them. Going shopping is, or, or retail therapy, uh, cleaning, excess washing, uh, gaming, drugs, alcohol, um, learning. I know a lady who, she, she, she went on, I mean, she, she achieved three degrees, but she went almost like on a rampage of learning, you know. So we all do these things. So at the end of it, I, um, at the end of the, of the course, we become complete with what's been unsaid, what's been unexpressed, if you like. So... Um, it is a lot of hard work and it's a lot of soul searching. And I would say, you know, being a medium as well, I see mediums who I think you definitely need to do this or you definitely need to do this. And, you know, it's, it's wonderful. We also do um, grief recovery in um, specialists for uh, the loss of pets. That's so undervalued for people who are grieving their pets. Um, very misunderstood. You know, when people say, um, well, it was only a dog. Oh, <laughs> I tell you, the more I feel, the more you love, the, the harder you grieve. And yes. our pets are that unconditional love 
that are with you all the time. Yeah. Never ask for anything, little food, little water. They snuggle, they listen, they love. It, it's yeah. torture to lose yeah. a, a pet. It is. And you know, when, when we are grieving, our bodies do the strangest of things. We suddenly find an enormous burst of energy and then we might find we've got a complete loss of energy. And what's happening is all the pent up grief, if you like, all this unresolved hidden grief, it sits there like a huge weight. And you said like a big dark cloud over, over you. Um, and, and it's only when we, we, we're never going to forget or, or say that those people didn't exist. They did. The people and pets and things, you know, that we love. People find in this year they have lost so much jobs, homes, relationships, a sense of who they are, independence, um, you know, the, I, I, as, as well as doing this, I also am a, um, an independent funeral celebrant. So I take funeral services and I have taken a lot of funeral services where there's only been 10 people allowed to be there that oh the grief in the room is palpable and you know to be told that you can't sit and comfort your mom when your dad has passed is so cruel it is an unbelievable cruel thing to do to anybody and so, and and at the very beginning they were all asked to sit you know 2 meters apart Right. 10 people sitting in front of me and ordinarily I hug I will embrace people because we know hugging is a wonderfully healing powerful embrace that we can have the longer you hug the more powerful it is I couldn't do that I couldn't even give anybody a tissue because it's come from my bag so I couldn't do that I couldn't go and see the family. So all of these things, you know, makes the grieving process even more difficult and impersonal. And all the, all the things that we take for granted when we are grieving, you know, families come together, we, we celebrate a life that has lived, a life that's been valuable, and, and a life that's given so much to the people in front of you, you know, their hearts are bursting with grief, with pain and with pride because they've known this person, but they're not able to express it. So for me, that was awful to, to watch that was, was, was terrible at the time. It's a little better. It's not great. We can have 30 now. You know, but I, I've taken services where there's been over 200 people. Right. And, to, to you know, they've been behind and all around and it's been um, the most wonderful show of respect and honour that people, that's how we honour people, isn't it? It is. So when we, when we put it all down and we say, so what's, what's happened in this year, the world at large 
has grieved and continues to grieve. Um, and I would say anybody who can ask me any questions, I don't mind. I don't care what the questions are. Um, I mean, I've worked in social services. I've seen some things in my time. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing shocks me. <laughs> Nothing shocks me at all. Um, but you know, all of the things that we feel, we we harm ourselves by continuing to carry them around with us. It has been proven that when we are um, walking around with all this angst inside us and um, grief and pain, it actually strains our organs. It puts a huge strain on our heart and, and so our other organs as well. It makes us better people by doing something about whether it's this or whether it's something else that you have found works for you. I would say after doing this and uh, I, I did my training in the summertime through Zoom, we did it. And I have sat with people and, and have seen the change, recognising that, oh, yeah, when that happened to me when I was a child, I didn't see that as a loss. But it is. And it set the tone for the rest of their lives. How our parents speak to us. For instance, I know of, of um, going back some years, families who would immediately shout their children down. You are not entitled to an opinion. But they are, aren't they? You know, I, I'm going into families where children were made to grow up. They, they were getting up with the babies, with the siblings, and they would be doing the bottles and the nappy changes while mum was recovering from the night before and not being able to get their education. And, and then they're not entitled to an opinion or they're told they're stupid. You know, I've, I've, I've worked with lots of families who it, it, it's heartbreaking to see how children are treated what chance in life do they stand? You know, children who are abused, they are, it's indoctrinated from a very early age that they have no value and their, their lives do not matter and what they feel does not matter. And, and so... When I think looked back at, I was asked, so what, what, are you, what do you want to specialise in? Well, grief. <laughs> um, so I did the advanced as well, but that means that I can do it online. I can deliver it online. So time and space is no issue at all. And also anticipatory grief, you see. So um, helping children grieve. When children uh, are grieving, as you know, it comes out in their behaviours. They don't necessarily say, I'm hurting inside. They might do something that as adults we see as a bit mean or spiteful or unnecessary, but it's their way of saying, I'm hurting. So we do the children, we do children, well, when I say we do children, what we do is we deliver the course to parents and teachers 
um, so that they can help their children, so they can be mindful of the things that they say. And, and, and it's made me more mindful. I thought I was quite um, appropriate and I was mindful about what I said. But I'm even more so now. Never, ever, ever will I say I know how you feel because I realize I didn't do it before. But now even more so I've met people, you know, um, when Georgia was diagnosed um, quite soon after that, I went to pick up the other two from school. And I was standing on the playground, as you do as a mum, waiting for the children to come out of school. And a parent came up to me and said, so I've heard that one of the twins is brain damaged. Is that right? And I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't think of anything to say. What do you say? And I said, why? What's it got to do with you? And I've also been told that well, you've got three other children. They don't have any disabilities. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. People are so inappropriate sometimes. Oh. I, I know of people who ha um, have children with disabilities, and I know one lady who was told, um, well, here's a pillow at newborn. Here's a pillow. Put the pillow over his face because he will be a burden all your life. That's yes. Awful. In the 21st century, yes. Yes. I I've been I know a friend who whose son passed away and she was told, well, at least he wasn't an only one. So when you think about the things that the cruel things as well and unbelievable things that people say, you know, when parents who have had a miscarriage, well, at least they didn't you didn't carry them to full term. I don't know why, as human beings, they f some people feel the need to lessen or diminish or demean someone's grief. Grief is 100%. That pain is 100%. It is so disrespectful to, to try and demean someone's grief. I don't, I don't know how they can live with themselves, to be fair. But these things are have been said, yes, real, you know. Um, well, uh, your father's died, so go out and play. Um, families who say, no, their children won't be going to the funeral because they won't understand it, but they won't be telling them what's gone on with granddad or what's gone on with mom or dad. And everybody needs a conversation about loss. Yes. When, when, we are, when we are happy... When we've had a brilliant day or something, say, you know, um, somebody's achieved a certificate or they've just been awarded a, a pay rise, which, yay, great. Everybody wants to celebrate. It's great. It's wonderful. But when something bad happens, we don't want to talk about it and we, we want to behave and pretend it doesn't happen. But it does, doesn't it? What can we say? What, I mean, I know I have my own feelings on this and I'm sure you're aligned on it, but what, what can we say if we have a friend who we know that they've had a loss? I, I usually say, see, when people say, I'm sorry for your loss, I'd like to finish that sentence off. 
I'm sorry for your loss. I don't know how you feel, but please know I'm sending my my best wishes to you or my love to you. I, I wish to send healing to you. Um, you know, just to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your loss. It can sometimes sound like an unfinished sentence. It, it can. I, I always say something similar too, but also say, I don't know how it feels. I'm, but I'm here for you, whatever yeah. you need. You need somebody to I listen. I can't imagine. I'm That's here. another one. Yes. I can't imagine how you feel, but I am thinking of you and send my prayers to you. Obviously, if people aren't religious, they won't want that. But if you know the person, you'll, exactly. you'll know what to say. Um, and, you know, I, I have said, there are no words. I don't know what to say. Can we talk a little bit about children? Yesterday when I was driving, there was a news show that was on and they were talking about children and grief and COVID-19 right now. And I found out there's a very high amount of suicide, even with children right now. There's anger that they're experiencing. They can't go out and play. They can't see their friends. They got to go to school for just a short time. And now in many places, they can't go to school. Um, how can parents be with their children? Um, I I know that with the with the helping children with grief, it's about having those conversations with your child or children, and not shutting them up, allowing them to express. Now, children express in many many different ways. It could be through play. It could be playing a game with them that they enjoy. It could be by an open question. What what have you been doing today? What what's you know, if they draw something. So tell me about this. So tell me what what you think about that or what happened. So if they say, for instance, um, I want to go out to play. I would be very honest and say why they can't go out to play. But what can we do to help? What can't? So if you said, I want, I want to go out, but I can't go out. Well, we can't go out, Sandra. I mean, I know that we're miles apart, but uh, it would be great if we could go out for dinner. But what can we do that would be a second best? I know it wouldn't be brilliant. You go get your dinner. I'll get my dinner and we'll sit and have a chat over Zoom. You know, or we can um, with children. I know that there are lots of activities that um, if if well, in the UK, there is something called heart heart with ears and we have these cards. So um, it's about questioning. What do you think about the news today? So, you know, the, the, the national news, the news on the TV, talk about your ch uh, children's future talk about their education, talk about what's important to them, not necessarily what's important to you as a parent, but, you know, asking your children, what's their point of view? They all have one. Absolutely. You know, what What do you think about COVID? I'm sure they'll all have um, something that's negative about it because it's preventing them from being children. It, it's it, it's um, preventing them from having their freedom. And, and if I can just say this, this program is the only evidence based program as well that helps with grief. But it's, it's been shown in schools that by talking 
and playing and giving your child, I don't mean giving them everything they want and all the attention, but simply sitting them down or just say, right, let's play. Children talk when they're playing. They do. And um, one thing that I once did was um, if you've got sort of um, Play-Doh, is to make an animal out of Play-Doh. So as a parent, you would make yours and they would make theirs. But you're asking them, I want you to make an animal of your best friend or whoever, but not yourself, and then tell me why. So um, I made this little boy. I said, I've, this is you and this is a lion. It didn't look anything like a lion, Sandra, I have to say. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. And he said, why a lion? And I said, because you don't rush in. You're very slow and deliberate. You only get what you need when you need it. But you're so protective of your baby brother. And that allowed me to tell him how good he was. Mm-hmm. So if you can do that with your with your child and make an animal or draw an animal, you know, and say this is what this is this represents you. And they maybe want to do it to you as well. Maybe you don't want to hear what they've got to say. I don't know, but <laughs> they'll be honest. They will. <laughs> they will, won't they? You see. Yeah. Children's filters are very, very thin and they do tend to say whatever it is. They do. Kath, I want to, a couple of things, because um, I do want to get involved and talk a little bit about your mediumship and what you know about the afterlife. But also, even for our, our listener, our viewer right now, even though we're talking about children, we are all children. We were all that young person who got shut down at a very early age. It might not be, might be, I'm got a feeling I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not loved. And so we are living that. So uh, about grief recovery, you're a specialist. So you work with people, but there's also people I'm sure that want to Google it. Uh, I think it's called here grief recovery method. I'm not sure. That's right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So that can be looked up as well. Um, but if you can just talk a little bit about how you work with people and also, did you feel better after, you know, I, you told about the lady talking to the chair. Mm-hmm. What's the difference doing oh. grief recovery method? Okay. Um, working with people. Um, It would be uh, online. It's five sessions. So we work together uh, one to one um, and we also do group work as well. Um, And so you work. um, It's step by step. So each each session, it has different steps. So you'd be looking at first of all, you look at the things that people have said to you when you look back at your own grief. The things that people have said to you, you know, um, I've been told, um, well, you, you go, go to your room. I've been told, shut up, you know, shush, 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 shush. So don't cry, you know. Uh, and when somebody's upset and crying, 
one of the worst things we can do is to try and embrace them immediately because that stops them from expressing what's going on. So that I understood perfectly well. Um, and so when I'd gone through it, and also you can do grief recovery with people who you don't have a relationship with anymore who are still here, who you may have problems with, but you still see. So <laughs> that's it. So you have a relationship with someone. You have to have a relationship with this particular person. Say it's your boss. I know you don't have a boss, but say it's your boss. And you have to have this relationship, but there are so many things about this person that they they have upset you, they are inappropriate, they are unfeeling, they are everything you're not. So when you come to the end of it and you complete with your relationship, you are not completing with them personally, you are completing with the pain, frustration, and maybe anger but the hurt that comes with that relationship. And then sometimes those people go and do something else. So we have to have a PS letter. It's called a PS letter. So we then go into, so you do, without giving it all away, you, you, you become aware of what isn't right, what hasn't worked, the things that don't work. And then you look at the things that do. The good things. So you look at your relationships. So we all we all have relations relationships with people that have been good, bad, and indifferent. So if you look at your relationship, say with your dad, it began on your birthday, and then you look at your earliest memories, which I'm hoping they're all good. So you look at them and you you plot all that relationship throughout the years. And look at the good things and then the not so good things, the things that you didn't like, the things when maybe when we're teenagers and we become a frustration to them or when they became poorly and things didn't go well then or the losses that he endured. And then when we come to the end and we we look at all the things the good and the bad and the indifferent. We look at what we're grateful for, what we're happy about, what we'd like if we have apologies to make and what forgiveness that we have. So we can, in, in mine, for instance, um, I wanted my dad to stay, but I forgive him because he couldn't, you see? Mm -hmm. And after, after I'd done it all, it was like a huge weight. And I've had many of these sessions where I've done all my relationships and then I've done the end completion part and sat and gone, oh, that feels good. That feels really, really good. Even with the ones who are still here and I, I struggle with, I struggle with the people. Yes. E even with that, it's made me realise that all the hurt, all the anger, the pain and everything that sits inside affects me, doesn't affect them. And it has enabled me to, uh, it's empowered me, I would say, to actually own and become responsible for my grief, 
my pain, not putting it on them. Because you have to take responsibility yourself for a certain amount of pain we feel, our reaction, you know. So when we go through it, this is why at times it can be difficult, because it's not easy to look at the pain that we've suffered. And we have suffered. And, you know, um, there isn't one person in the world who hasn't felt disempowered. True. So to get to the end and feel, I own this now. And, and being responsible for my reactions, how I've accepted and understood things, and also then looking at other people and the way that my reactions can affect them. So do you see why with mediumship, it's it's a huge, huge thing. And I see mediums and think, yeah, they've got such a lot of grief they need to deal with. They've got, they really do. It's true. I think we, as human beings, we look for evidence of the afterlife if we are grieving. And you're a perfect demonstration that you are a medium, a long time medium, and you still feel the pain I think there is a lot of pluses having a good medium reading, having that knowing your loved one is still around. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that and um, the afterlife. Okay. I know that's kind of an open question, but I don't, we don't have too, too much time left, but I think it's important to just tie in your thoughts about the afterlife and well, whatever you want to say. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, um, I was I was aware of the spirit world as a, as a very, very young age, and, and I was lucky that my grandfather was a medium. So my journey in mediumship has been, um, it's been a journey from birth. You know, some people, they get to a certain age and then then find out that they have all these abilities that they, that that lay dormant for so long and yet I was aware of them at a very early age and I suppose well yes very very fortunate very lucky that I do come from a family who are spiritualists so I was encouraged um which was a which was a joy and then starting going to church of course I started to go to church as a child and then boys came along they be, they were far more interesting. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so periodically I would go back and, and then leave again and then come back. But having um, the spirit world close. See, when, um, when I was with dad, when my dad passed, you can see the life, the physical life, leave the body. And you don't have to be a medium to see that. You can see, you can see. And being in, in with my dad at that time and uh, being aware of the spirit world, I knew that the room was full. It was absolutely full. I could feel all, all his loved ones. And my dad hadn't seen his own father since he'd been, since he was 13. My grandfather died when dad was 13. So I could just, I could imagine the reunion for them um, and how wonderful that would be. He had, he had a brother and a sister he'd never met, so he would see them. Um, and I could sense all this joy from them 
So it's a t- it's tinged. It really was tinged because I didn't want to see my dad go. And yet I knew he was going. I was aware of the spirit world and I could see all these beautiful pinks and purples or as these hues almost, you know, like when you look at the um, the northern lights, how they seem to come and go and they shimmer. Yes. And I could see all these beautiful lights over dad. And then um, and then afterwards, looking at his physical body it wasn't him and that sounds if you've never experienced it that might sound the strangest of things but it wasn't that wasn't my dad that empty shell yes yes that looked like him yeah and you can see the very life of him move move away um and while it was devastating which as you know it is it is um, you can't express that pain in words. There are no words, but to feel that love within the room was just unbelievable. And then a few weeks later, and it was a few weeks later, I took a service I'd been booked to do. And so in the days where we could actually go to church <laughs> and uh, I went and I was worried because I, I did think, how am I going to cope with this and the first contact was a dad so I knew that I wasn't really Kath's head wasn't really in the room because I was not really with it you know you, you just seem to come in and out of consciousness almost don't you so I wasn't fully conscious I was aware of that my mind was elsewhere and I was aware of this dad, and this is what I saw. I saw my dad. I saw my dad in hospital. I saw my dad with all the different tests that he had to have done. I saw the scan of his lungs. I saw every sort of um, memory of those last six months of his life pass before me. And I just rattled it all off. I just said it as, as it came. And everything was correct because her dad had passed in the same way as my dad. Aren't the spirit world clever? They are. And even down to the flowers that dad had on his casket. And my dad was a healer. He was a spiritual healer. So all his flowers were orange because that's the colour of a healer from Gordon Higginson and Paul Jacobs. Um, And and, and I knew that. So all his flowers were orange. And this gentleman too had had the same. And I I never stopped to ask for a a response. I just said it all. She was saying yes, but I wasn't in the room, as it were, and just said it. And afterwards, I felt so refreshed. I never feel tired after working with the spirit world. I feel energized and it really felt like I'd sat with my dad and gone through his last six months and to, for him to say, and, and, and now I'm okay. I'm okay. Honestly, I'm okay. Um, and it was wonderful. If I hadn't have been a medium, I wouldn't have had that experience. Um, and I dream about my dad often um and I see I get glimpses just a glimpse 
of him and I hear his voice sometimes. Um, and it's wonderful to be able to be aware of him. He's not my guide. You know, I was told, oh, he'll be your guide now. No, he won't. Why would you want to do that? He's Why? My dad. <laughs> <laughs> Why on earth would dad want to do that? No, he won't. He'll be going doing his thing. He'll be doing things that he wanted to do. But, you know, I'm so grateful to the spirit world for allowing me the glimpses that, that I see and that I'm aware of and being able to, to share what I knew, what I understood, what had been my life for six months with that lady. And I know that she she understood afterwards when I said I was just relaying everything that had happened to me. Um, but wow, the spirit world are immense. They never cease to amaze me. And I'll always be grateful for, for their love and, and their inspiring intelligence. It's wonderful. Oh, it is. And I've gotten to see you in action as a medium on our Sunday gatherings. You've been our guest a few times and I hope you come on more often. I would love I will. That. Yes, it's I'd love to. Really special to hear your words of philosophy and see you demonstrate. Oh, it's great. How can people get in touch with you if they would like to? I know I said your email address at the beginning. But yes. As Catherine Shirley, if you want to find me on there, um, just send me a message so I know because I do get I do I don't know about you, but I do get some strange men messaging me <laughs> with some strange requests. It's got nothing to do with mediumship or grief recovery yeah. or funerals or the church or any of those things. Um, yes, you can get in touch with me on Facebook and via my email address. Uh, yeah, kath.rainatme.com. Um, we do have also, I don't, um, what's it? The Thole Trust, was which is attached to my Facebook, because that's also Mitch in there. But we're going to, um, we are working towards doing a um, sort of webinar to make people aware, again, about the benefits of grief recovery. And if I, a gentleman who was my first, um, bless him, he was so kind and generous. And um, he did say to me, I will, I will still have my moments, of yes. course, but I can't tell you how much better I feel. I think the, the greatest gift of this is to know that grief is the normal and natural reaction to a significant loss and all losses are a hundred percent so it, it for me it definitely worked and for the people I've worked with it has helped them I know there's a couple who felt I can't do this I'm not ready so you have to be mindful that it can be painful to do it but you have to get it out I would say the, the the most painful thing is holding on to it. Absolutely. And speaking of holding on to it, throughout my years of what I've been doing, I've seen people who, it's like you die inside. So even though yes. you're alive, it can cause such deep grief that you're dead inside. And I've been able to see people after 30 years be able to 
release a lot of that and get back with their lives. And yes. so I know for our listener, our viewer, normally we're talking much more about the afterlife, but what you may not know about me is the only reason I started to share about the afterlife was I wanted to get information out about grief and tie it all together that we don't die mm. and our lives are for a purpose. Nothing, I say nothing will be worse than having your final moments here on earth, closing them, opening them and going, oh my God, I didn't die. I'm still alive. I wish I had done this, 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 and said yeah. this, 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 and this. So our life really is about living. And you can contact Catherine, Kath, Catherine, <laughs> or you check out grief recovery method if it's something you want to Google. Um, but to empower us all to live a good life while we're here is such a blessing. So Kath, thank you for, well, thank everything you. that you've done in your many years journey, but this, this is just <laughs> the cherry on top of the cake, being able to help people through their darkest times and get to the other side. That's right. Yes. It's, it's a wonderful thing. As you say, there's, the worst thing we can do is to die before this physical life is over. It is. Do you still do medium readings working with people one-on-one? -on -one? Yes, yes, I do. Okay. I do, yes. Zoom, um, Skype. Skype isn't so popular these days, but I've got it on my computer. Uh, messenger or a phone oh, call. Yes, whatever way. Yes. whatever way I've even done it via messaging you're in the spirit world are there your, your thumbs can go really quick <laughs> wow I've not heard of that it's amazing well I just know I have not had a reading with you but I know the gift that you've been to our communities on Sundays and it's you you just bring in the joy you really do our loved ones they don't remember oh, any pain they're they're in a great place they're their best selves and to bring forth those shares and you actually get to feel like you're with the other person and it's beautiful really thank you thank you thank you for who you and are thank you too because you give so much comfort and sustenance to people and when people are at their lowest ebb they've no idea just how much they've been lifted from where they were so it's a wonderful gift that you give to people as well so thank you Sandra Thank you so much. And for our listener or our viewer, thank you for spending this time with Catherine, Shirley, and I. Oh, our home base is wedontdieradio.com. Now you can find 355 episodes. All I can say is wow, because that's almost um, a whole year's worth of listening if you listen yes. to one a day. Wow. Amazing. You can also, it is, join what I call my insiders club. It's just my email list. And if you join, it says you can read the first few chapters of my book. Well, here's the secret. It's the whole book. I don't want anything to stop you from getting this information about we don't die. And my chapter 10 of the book is just on grief. And it's very, very powerful. Again, I ask you to check out the calendar page on the website. There's a lot going on. And during this time of, if you're listening or watching to this uh, in 2020 or even in 2021, it's a very hard time. So to keep yourself 
active with things online or listening to things, or even if it's not us, read a powerful book, be in conversation with people. It can be a very difficult time. So it does help to stay engaged. And we have a Facebook group. If you're a Facebook person, you can type in We Don't Die Listeners. And it's over 5,000 fabulous men and women who talk about these things, the afterlife, life, living life, and grief. So I know in my life, there aren't too many people that I see that I share this side of myself. But meanwhile, I can be fully open and fully self-expressed uh, with my friends that I don't see. And I get to connect with them mostly through Facebook. So that's nice. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I'm always so happy to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here is very important. And I also know we've done some tough things and we've made it through. So if your soul is saying, let's check out this grief recovery method, go for it. Uh, if you feel comfortable reaching out to CAF, go for it. So we love you. We care for you. Want to really thank you for listening or thank you for viewing and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.